Hello, and welcome back to another episode of What's the Word, an electrical industry podcast. I'm Zach Cardle, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason Cox. We're here to have relevant conversations with members of the electrical industry here in Canada. Uh, and, and we've got a really great show today. We're going to be sitting down with Kai Farian and Gershwal of Virtuoso Energy, talking about their vision uh, for a sustainable electrical future and the role that electricians are going to play in that future, uh, as well as kind of where how they got to where they are today in their business, Virtuoso Energy. Um, so with that, let's jump into the episode and take a listen. Uh, today on What's the Word, we're talking with Virtuoso Energy. We have Gersh Ball and Kai Farian. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We're excited. So real quick, gentlemen, I'm interested how you both decided to get into the electrical trade. So if you give me just a quick background of how you guys decided to become electricians initially before business owners, that would be great. Yeah, Kai, if you want to kick things off, the place to start. Yeah, for sure. Um, my electrical uh, journey started back in 2011. One of my big reasons was actually I had a choice between plumber and electrician. Uh, I come from a background of five generations of plumbers that then turned into engineers. And so I wanted to break that, ended up going into the electrical side of things. And it, it was something that I really liked. Um, it was something that made me, allowed me to work with my hands. Um, a big part of the, the job itself was actually being able to build things, see things come together and see complex systems as well. Um, so tied into a lot of stuff that I like doing on today on a day to day, and then from there um, that kind of led us into. We'll talk about it more afterwards, but more into kind of the virtuoso side and building the company itself uh, in a, in the sustainability space. And kind of the lessons we learned from the electrical trade along the way. Yeah, mine mine isn't necessarily as deep rooted as Kai, but when uh, when I was a younger individual, I initially started off going in the direction of computer engineering. And I quickly discovered that it wasn't something that I was really passionate about. Um, at that time, the, the person I was with, who's my wife now, um, was really driving me to be a better person. And her and I were doing a lot of humanitarian work together. So, uh, you know, spending, spending personal time going out and helping, helping individuals who were less, I guess, uh, more marginalized and didn't have the same opportunities that we did. So we quickly came to the agreement that um, as as a partnership, we in the long run, we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, retiring at a reasonable age in which the skills that we gained throughout our youth would be utilized in a beneficial manner. So we went through a little bit of an exercise to determine what we would figure, what we figured at the time would be the most valuable skill to have um, from a humanitarian perspective in developing nations. So I went down, like, would it be good if I was a carpenter? And would it be good if I was a welder? Uh, or, and then eventually we ended up landing on the fact that being an electrician would be the best way to go. Be, and furthermore, discovered that it's one of the keys to overcoming poverty. So it was an interesting exercise that my wife that I went through. And at that time, I was living in Edmonton, packed everything up, moved down to Calgary and went through the apprenticeship program at SAID. Gersh, I've heard a lot of people over the years tell me their journey into electrical. And I've never heard one like that before. So what a noble foresight. So. Uh, I commend you on that. And Kai, man, to be able to break away from that plumbing family background and get into electrical, I, I kind of laugh about that because as you guys know, there's always that ribbing between the electricians and the plumbers. So 
and all those generations. Uh, what a what a great introduction to uh, to our podcast this week. Thanks for that, guys. Yeah, so that's a good, I don't know, a little bit of a different way into the trade. Obviously, there came a point where you guys ran into each other, right? Neither of your entries into the trade were with each other. So, I mean, now you guys are both co-CEOs, correct me if I'm wrong, of Virtuoso Energy. So how did that come to be? Uh, this is a pretty funny story. So the going further into our roots, Kai and I both come from like a... I guess we're, we're people of the earth. We have like very diverse cultural backgrounds. Uh, I personally come from like an English Indian root. And then Kai is Swiss German and it, it provides a lot of diversity. And the, the reason why that's important to note is being in Alberta in the trades, one of the luxuries is having a nice truck. But when we both pulled up to a sulfur facility, just East of Calgary, we both happened to be uh, driving like compact European cars and everybody else had like Raptors and nice lifted trucks. And uh, Kai was, I think Kai at that time was a fourth year, uh, fourth year electrician. And I was a third year, a third year apprentice and uh, walked into the, the general area doing the tailgate meeting and the superintendent on the site and the foreman basically said, Hey, Gersh, you're new to the site. I want you to go over to Kai. I walked over to him and it was kind of an interesting situation. I think Kai you picked up for me. Yeah, so we ended up actually working together on the site, which was ironic that, that they picked us to work together, um, not knowing any of that what Gersh just mentioned. Uh, and then, yeah, from there, we pretty much uh, we worked together on the site there. Gersh then on one of our breaks ended up pulling out these things called energy balls. Um, they were uh, vegan and literally an energy ball um, that he mentioned uh, that he brought to site. And it was something for a break time that he was like, Hey, do you want one of these? Gave me one of them. And we started getting into the details of kind of a little bit more in depth of how we grew up. Um, what kind of some of the things that we liked and ended up clicking on a lot of things when it came to music, when it came to our um, love for cars, a lot of different aspects like that. So that kind of then shifted into working together quite a bit um, because the, the foreman on site liked how we worked together and all of that. Um, I don't know how detailed we want to go into the story here, Gersh. It might be you kind of are good at uh, the high level aspect of it if you want to take it. Yeah, I mean, to really sum it up, I, I for the longest time as well, too, Kai's quite a bit younger than me. Um, the best way to explain that is I'm married and I have three kids, and Kai is in a long term relationship and has uh, two kids, but in the form of dogs, mine are the human version. So there's a pretty big gap from an age perspective between the two of us. But the biggest thing is I always admired him and looked up to him because his work ethic was excellent and he really knew what he was doing. So I was his apprentice for a while. Uh, wasn't just at that site, but it continued on onto other sites as well too. And I was very happy working underneath an individual as skilled as him, which eventually allowed, you know, that, that piece of you have to be able to learn how to work underneath people before you can work over them. And then, but we, that never ended up happening. We both just rose together and became equals over time. It is fascinating when you start having those relationships, working with a partner in the field, whether it's a journeyman or another apprentice, you definitely do uh, build some unique bonds that, that, I mean, they last a lifetime. You still run into people from time to time and you, you learn a lot when you're uh, learning and working together in some very strange situations in the trade. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the trade, especially people who, like you're the, the title of journeyman is such an honorable role to have. And even still, like, well, we'll have like a barbecue or something like that. And my, there'll be the odd one where my family comes down and be like, oh, you got to meet this person, use my journeyman at this site. 
and this person was the journeyman of this site and they they hold a special place in our lives because without them you know that you're you would never gotten your red seal or your ticket so you're 100 right they are very important not necessarily just from the companionship side but also in the ability to become a skilled individual to be able to really find your footing in the world and you basically both said that your family you guys came to canada and i found that the opinion of the trades in Europe is far different than it is in North America. Um, so that respect in the Europe culture uh, towards the trades, I mean, it, it's they're looking at you like you've got a degree or you're a, you're a professional. And so it, it's nice to see, even, even as you were mentioning earlier, your family's in uh, plumbing and going university, but they still encourage you to, to follow the trades. Yeah, for sure. It, it was a big part of it is like being able to get kind of that hands-on aspect was again, like I said, everybody kind of goes back on the plumbing side and then into the engineering side um, where we've kind of been able to, you almost get to learn both sides of that here, which is nice. You get to kind of really interact with the engineers when you're working on projects as well. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree. There's, it's a very sought after and a, and a really good career choice. So. So you guys built that relationship together and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, those bonds between journeyman and apprentice and then, or journeyman and journeyman or apprentice and apprentice working together. I mean, some of it are my lifelong friends or people in my wedding parties, right. Or people I came up working with, you know, through my apprenticeship into my journeyman service van years. Um, when did you guys decide to go from working for someone else into starting virtuoso and what helped you make that decision? This is it. This is also another interesting story. So at the time, um, we were both working for Stratus Electrical Instrumentation. They're still going strong. Good, really good leadership team. Um, I highly recommend them as an employer as well too. Kai was uh, Kai and I were running around as a two man crew, going and just banging out all these all these more intricate, more detailed jobs, and really making sure we were doing the best work that we could potentially do. Uh, but simultaneously to that, we got an invitation from SAIT for a Build Your Business competition. This was in April of 2016. So it was a Dragon's Den style competition in which you pitch your business model. We ended up going forward with a electrical company, electrical services company focused on solar and had some really good advisors at our um, at that time in our lives as well too that helped us formulate a really good business strategy. And we ended up winning the competition. We won... Um, what we thought back then was a lot of money was five grand. And that gave us enough confidence to team quit our jobs. So we took out, uh, our employer at the time of the individual that we had a really good relationship by the name of his gentleman's name was Greg Epp, took him out for lunch, uh, told him like, Hey, thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. Uh, but it's time for us to go out on our own. And we, we, we wanted to make sure we were doing whatever jobs they wanted us to get done to have, to have that wrapped up and be really respectful to their organization because we had the freedom to do what we wanted to now. So we made sure we left off on a good, on a, on a really good note, but simultaneously to making sure we did that properly. Ironically enough, that individual himself, who was a master electrician helped support our business for the first, uh, what, would, what would you say, Kai, probably four to six months. Give or take. Yeah, around six months. Yeah. Around six months, he helped us pull permits until we were really under, we got our feet underneath us. So it just showed like how classy of an individual he was, but also simultaneously spoke volumes about the industry that in the trades, like everybody really works together and helps support one another, um, regardless of of uh, kind of where they're going, because it is truly a rising tide, right? We're all building this province together. Yeah, it's so good to hear that having that strong relationship with him and no hard feelings when you guys decided to leave, helped you guys launch your business. Um, one thing I really like about that story is you mentioned 
the business competition at at SATE, uh, which is a polytechnic post-secondary here in Calgary, Alberta. Um, maybe can you just touch on that a little bit? That's a pretty cool opportunity. And I think the fact that you guys even took the initiative to jump on it is something that, you know, maybe only one out of a hundred people would even think to jump on. So if you could touch on that. Yeah, I can, I can expand on that one. It's actually, we've said this a few times, right? But it is, it adds to the funny story. So it goes back to that. We were working separately at this time, actually. So I was working in Saskatchewan on an out of town project and Gersh, you were working. I can't remember if you're in Calgary or other town as well. Um, but we were communicating and I got an email saying, Hey, we're doing this safe build your business competition. The owner of Rouge is going to be speaking as like the inspirational speaker um, for day one. And then if you get accepted into the program after that, you can apply after kind of that speech. And then you can you can get accepted into the program um, to actually pitch your business. So I forwarded that email to Gersh. And this was at a job where I was sleeping uh, in a hotel. It was probably like a $15 a night hotel where you're wearing all your clothes, the, the good out of town uh, grind. And, and I forwarded the emails like Gersh, this I think is a really good opportunity for us to, to kind of step out of um, our day-to-day and see if we can actually kick this thing off and, and uh, do something bigger with it. And so I forwarded that to Gersh. We both agreed it made sense. So when I came back on my days off, um, we ended up going to uh, to the speech there to watch it. And then from there, applied for the competition and were picked. How many uh, businesses were picked, Gersh, or how many? Was it eight or 10 that went through the program? I think it was it was a total of eight that ended up pitching pitching at the actual night of the event. Yeah, so and that, that's going an- into that. Sorry, yeah, and that's an interesting point as well, too. Kai was touching on something interesting there with the actual event. Um, the event was on the night of my TQ and the morning after was my IP. So my interprovincial exam and my actual final exam for my for my to get my journeyman ticket. So it was it was pretty chaotic and that was and nothing has changed. So <laughs> that was a that was a good night. But Kyle, let you kind of carry that, carry back to the story there. Yeah, I know. So that that pretty much uh, got us into that. It was through Satan and Actus, who through their business school. Um, again, we were paired with an individual that, funny enough, now we're still really good friends with both of them as well. So people that you meet throughout these processes and these journeys is, have been a huge impact as well. Um, and then, yeah, that went into us building our business model and then pitching to, I want to say, six individuals uh, and then being able to win that and take that $5,000 and like you said, run with it and kind of create what we've created today. Well, I think that's an incredible opportunity. So if we kind of look back at that proposal uh, at your presentation and then kind of jump right to where we are today, how have your, let's talk about your services that your company's offering today and have they changed very much from those initial proposals? So we went into the competition with um, pitching solar. So looking heavily at solar solutions backed by um, traditional electrical solutions as well. And today our major offering is home solar solutions. So more dialed in. So pretty much what we did from there is we ended up doing traditional electrical work to get our um, footing into the solar space. And then once we started kind of um, working closer with the solar and the sustainability side of things, then we transitioned into uh, solar solutions, electric vehicle solutions, and LED uh, retrofits. So really on like sustainability, reducing carbon footprint for homes and commercial. And now our focus is actually shifted again in the last kind of 12 months where 
we're heavily focused on home solar solutions. So that's solar, electric vehicle infrastructure, and battery solutions for, for homes. And the other aspects, like when it comes to traditional electrical work, we work with um, contractors and partners that do that. So it's shifted quite a bit in those uh, the last five years kind of thing. All right. Well, I mean, but it, I mean, it was a natural progression. It's, yep. yeah, it's, it's, it's not like you started with vegetables and moved to fruit. It seems like you guys are, are following a logical sequence there. So that's kind of cool. Yep. So I've done a little bit of reading about the company I know, and based on your story in the last five years, you guys have grown uh, rapidly, right? You've, I don't know, grown a lot. How have you guys managed that growth from five years ago? I assume the two of you standing on a roof together, installing panels to now being the co-CEOs. How did you get from there to here? Yeah, it's a really good question, Zach. I mean, growth is always something that isn't ever truly predictable other than the numbers on the spreadsheet. Usually the numbers on the spreadsheet is the guiding the guiding overview of what it is that we need to be able to achieve. And the biggest thing that we understood, and, and this is coming from truly a humble place, not from an, an arrogant position at all, is that you, you have to understand as an owner of an organization that people believe in you. And that's really the biggest thing in any interaction you have in humanity is that if you're getting behind something, it's because there's somebody that created that something that you now believe in. And ad- adopting that mindset was something that was a little bit difficult for us, but it's been formulated into something that we have internally and externally, which are known generally known as core values, but our core values are not like the typical ones where it's like safety or integrity or something like that. It's very much rooted in who we are as people what we've determined as individuals are the most important characteristics that we carry and what we think are required for our team to be able to exemplify exemplify in their everyday interactions with the clients, with each other, and things of that nature. But there's another side of the coin as well, too, is the ability to actually pull these things off. And that's, that's about really coming down to having the right people in the right seats. So we have a really strong management team. Uh, each each representing a different part of our company, whether it be sales or operations or marketing or finance. We have some really talented individuals. Um, a lot of them are quite young as well too, but very hardworking and very bright. And believing in those people and giving them the tools that they need have been, has been one of the major reasons where we are continuing successfully and, and have had a lot of success previously as well too. The last piece of the growth is really tied to the operation side of things. So making really strong relationships, uh, making sure that, you know, the, the organizations that you're working with externally, whether it be like vendors, suppliers, distributors, uh, some of the partnerships we have, for example, we represent Porsche Canada, we work with Tesla, ChargePoint, things of that nature, some of these really cool brands, making sure that they feel that they're a part of that vision as well too, and making sure that they also understand that, that we're grateful for having them along the ride. That's really what it's come down to in terms of uh, the company's growth, it's chaotic. It's a lot of the times it can be really difficult and it's not fun, but as long as the vision is locked in and everybody feels like they're part of, part of the greater, the greater good of what we're trying to do and not felt feeling like they're getting run over if something doesn't necessarily go right as has really put us in the right position for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I'm hearing there, I mean, throughout the entire, you know, half an hour we've been talking so far is it's all about relationships, right? Your guys' strength and your bond with each other um, the relationship with your management team and then your relationship with the external industry, which I think is really important to understand that this industry is rooted in strong relationships. I really like that. I agree. It, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you really want to 
bring it back down to like where that comes from. We're, we're from a different, we're both of us are from different countries. Right? Kai's from Germany. I'm from England. My dad's from India. Uh, and th- there's this weird thing that ends up happening is when you come to Canada, you're not really in a country, you're in the best representation of what humanity has to offer. We just happen to be stuck on a cold part of it, which kind of sucks half the time of the year. But the, but the big thing is that you also simultaneously understand that we're, we're all in this together and everybody's working collectively towards something bigger than ourselves because the opportunities that you're afforded in this country come with uh, a couple of different things. It can either come with guilt for all those other humans that don't experience the Canadian life because life is short and here it's quite sweet. And it also comes with a lot of motivation knowing that because we have the resources that we have here, we have to work a little bit harder and make sure that we're benefiting um, all those that don't have the same opportunities as us. So it would seem that one of our questions here is what are you guys looking for in new employees? I think character is one of those strongest traits that you guys would be looking for. And then you could develop the skills of your tradespeople. Yeah, a big part of what we look for when it comes to whether it's field, office, whatever positions it might be, is cultural fit and character and being tied into our vision for the future. So being able to actually feel and want to make an impact when it comes to sustainable solutions and helping fight climate change. And like you said, those other aspects, we actually have, again, individuals, if they're, we'll call them no years that start their apprenticeships with us, right? And work through that and are able to kind of then get the educational side as well. And then same with the individuals that aren't doing the apprenticeships, they're able to get that education side from other individuals on the team or through external training and all that. So it it's a super big thing when we're looking at new employees is how do they fit when it comes to things outside of skills that ranks really highly with us. I've never thought I've heard the term no years before. I, I kind of <laughs> like, how, I like how you take it and you're like, it's in the past. It, it's almost like a, a negative thing. You start off green. You don't know anything. Whereas you're, you're going to sculpt this person and, and you're going to build, you're going to, you're going to build uh, the employee that you want out of it. So that, it's actually a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Might not be in the right order of our questions here, but you, you guys mentioned that your your business is really focused in on residential um, solar. My question is for you guys, are, it doesn't seem like there'd be a whole lot of engineered prints for your projects. When it comes to uh, picking products, uh, are you guys kind of loyal to almost one brand name? Like what... Where have you guys picked up your experience on on deciding which vendors to use for your your installations? Yeah, I can I can touch on that. Um, it's a really good question. A lot of it uh, has some of it or some of it has come from trial and error. Um, so working with different brands that might have seemed better and then ended up being maybe not the best um, solutions for us. And I think that's just again with growth. Now with the vendors that we use, a lot of it comes from. What are, what are they doing on the sustainability side? So we look at our distribution and our supply network on, are they actually looking at reducing their impacts um, from the carbon side of, again, of manufacturing, transportation, all of that. That's a big part of it. And then also looking at product quality. Um, so being able to have really good product quality with really good warranties has been a huge aspect of us um, actually picking a few different solutions. We don't have it narrowed down to say one for each, just because we don't want to be tied to just one um, supplier, just because of different code regulations and all of that. But we have it kind of to two to three that we use for the last like couple of years that have been steady. 
we've been able to build those relationships, like Gersh mentioned, with manufacturer and distributor to uh, to offer the best product and the best service. Yeah, I think you see that. I think you see that most of the time with with a lot of construction trades. They they narrow it down to two or three vendors just out of convenience and efficiency for sure. Yeah. Other than working with those vendors that you like you say have more sustainable actions in their processes and stuff, uh, as a as a construction company, a trade company, I mean, we know that the trades can be pretty wasteful at times um, in different various aspects of construction. What have you guys done as a company to kind of limit your impact on the environment in your installation processes? Yeah, that's a really good question. We can kind of two-part this one, Gersh. Um, so from the actual waste management side of things, again, it looks at partnering with companies um, that go further, that go above and beyond with their processes when it comes to like our disposal and our recycling bins. So that's a big aspect of it is so like actually working with them on seeing, hey, do they actually recycle products? Do they actually do what they're saying? Or are they just going to the landfill with it kind of thing? That was one. Um, and then working with actually reducing... Uh, material needs when it comes to the crews on site. So educating and chatting with them and kind of looking at, okay, what what is needed for this project? Are we able to um, mitigate by buying more in bulk and being able to kind of have that with less waste? When a good example is wire, um, reducing the wire waste when it comes to cutoffs and things like that. And then another big aspect is also having a full recycling program when it comes to the wire. So being able to bring that all back, I know there's a monetary side to that as well. But a big one is that's the environmental impact side and the monetary side. They kind of drive each other. And that gives individuals um, that ability to really make sure they set that aside in their crews. And then they pretty much one individual or one crew will bring it all back on a bi-monthly. Usually every couple of months, they'll bring it back. Um, so that's the big parts that we do when it comes to the construction side. I can like Gersh add anything else when it comes to like office and all that. Yeah, and when it comes down to the the greater scheme of things in terms of what does it look like from our from our organizational perspective, we do have a goal to become uh, carbon neutral uh, as an organization. And there's different ways that we're already bringing that into play. The first step that we took was the implementing SDG, so the Sustainable Development Goals put up by the UN. So we subscribe to seven, uh, seven of them, and we're making sure that we're measuring each of the targets. How are we actually, how are we actually you know, satisfying the requirements based on what the UN has set out. And then further to that, we're developing an internal ESG program uh, with some G, uh, with some alignment with the GRI standards. So making sure that there it's a global perspective that we're bringing into play, that we're hitting the benchmarks from that side of things. And, and then ultimately figuring out the gap. So the beautiful thing about the world that we live in now is trees and solar panels and other renewable energy resources have an inherent carbon offset associated with them. So hypothetically speaking, let's say, uh, Zach, you wanted to, you have a trip coming up and you wanted to fly to Mexico. You now can simply just go to the like Air Canada's website and buy the carbon offsets associated with the, the amount of fuel that's going to be used for your seat based on how many people are on your flight. And you'll be able to enjoy that, that vacation without any sort of, you know, uh, concerns about your environmental footprint. So the big piece about that is where we have a lot of um, efforts internally to make sure we're in alignment with that. That's also going to include like switching over our entire fleet to EV. But where we do have gaps, we'll make sure that we satisfy them um, with different brokerage firms that provide those carbon. Or in some cases, we'll, we'll be able to acquire them from our clients as well, too. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I guess my next question is, what's next for the company 
in the next, you know, five, 10 years, where do you guys see Virtuoso headed? Okay, perfect. So one of our big things uh, is our BHAG, so big, hairy, audacious goal. And that is a million homes by 2040. So a million homes of solar solutions by 2040 is our big thing. Now that's a 19 year outlook. We obviously have that broken down into quarterly, yearly, three year, and then so on when it comes to goals. Uh, When you're looking at the actual things that are in a tangible near future is a a full rebrand. So we're actually looking at a rebrand when it comes to the feel of the company, um, the forward facing and internal. So that that's a big exciting thing that we've been working on that we're we're looking forward to launching in the new year as well. And then I'll let Gersh kind of expand on that and a few other exciting things that are coming. Yeah, absolutely. So Kai's touching on something that's been a little bit of a delicate process. So we are going to be coming out with a new name, a new look, and a much easier to digest overall experience with our clientele. The biggest thing about our the industry that we're in. So, you know, sustainability as a whole at, at, uh, at the end user side of things is it's an opportunity that hasn't necessarily existed in human previously. And what that, that opportunity is, is to be able to uh, control, control the way that your energy is utilized. It's the most democratic form of energy that we have and making sure that it doesn't sound complicated. Like the way that I just explained that is a little bit complicated, right? So our new brand will be able to really simplify that down and allow people to be able to make a decision in a faster, more confident manner. Because in our industry, nobody's really doing a good job at it right now from that perspective. They're doing a very excellent job from saying like, here's your specs, here's the technical pieces, here's the here's the ins and the outs. And it, it, it hasn't become a mass market product in Canada yet. So that's going to be what, what we're going to accomplish in the short term is we're going to make it, make it that mass market product so that the, the impact of humanity's uh, humanity on the planet Earth can be reduced. Uh, obviously, solar isn't a be-all and end-all solution. It's part of the greater puzzle piece, but at least in our industry, we can help accelerate that side forward. And, and the, bigger, the bigger side of it from the human side is to be able to create a lot of really good jobs. Um, we're roughly sitting at about 50 people, pretty close to about 50 people now. That number is most likely going to double quite easily in the next six months. And the, the people that do work with us, like I have... Uh, I have a lot of respect for them and a lot of compassion towards them as well, too. They're all really great individuals, and we want to see that continue to grow, and we want to increase the standard of what electricians can come to expect in a workplace, whether that be benefits, whether that be the they're having their voices heard, the opportunities in organizations. Uh, some of our project managers started off and started off in the field and worked their way up, uh, and just being able to make sure that that opportunity as an organization, an equal opportunity organization, is really amplified over these over these next few years, so people know that it's a good place to work, and also expect higher standards from their current employers. So, hopefully, that provides a, a greater snapshot of uh, of the internal workings of what our goals look like. We'll be looking forward to the announcement in the new year just to see what you guys are up to because it's it's obvious that you have a plan. We're really excited for that as well, too. I mean, it's been it's been a labor of love uh, in the best of ways because. It's it's the most doing a rebrand is the equivalent of like spending uh, spending let's say like an entire year in a dentist chair is you don't know which tooth is going to get pulled next right so it's it's a fun exercise but at the end of it we're hoping that we have a nice shiny set of teeth and everybody will like the smile that we put on. So I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, really enjoyed hearing about the business and the forward outlook of the business, but I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, like sustainability overall and the role that electricians are going to play in that. Um, so what role do you see electricians playing in 
combating climate change right now? And how do you think that's going to start shifting in the next, you know, five and 10 years? Yeah, so I can I can touch on this one uh, from a high level perspective and just kind of zoom it in. Uh, electric, it's obviously my favorite trade. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an electrician myself, but it's it's not for the reason that a lot of people would think that's, oh, you got to do cool work. And, you know, it's, it's more from the perspective that it's an, it's a very important trade from uh, the pers- from the side of things of you know making sure the planet is sustainable in terms of humans living on Earth, having clean air and things of that nature as well too, and and where that really comes from is when when I was going through the process of becoming an electrician, I really quickly discovered there's at that time there's about 1.2 billion people that didn't have access to electricity. The key, the mo- the single greatest thing that you can do to overcome poverty in developing nations is having access to electricity, the ability to charge a smartphone, uh, to have running water in your home, to have a light bulb on at night. I know those all seem like super, you know, typical things that we experience here, but that isn't the case in a lot of countries. And, and that's, that's a big thing there that electricians can look forward to is they're going to be part of that forward movement to sustainability as a whole. If it's carbon capture technology, somebody's got to wire that. If it's a wind generator, somebody's got to wire that. If it's solar panels, that's almost exclusively all electrical work. And where that's being driven from is currently globally, there's 834 cities, not, not countries, cities that have renewable energy targets. 350 of those 834 are located in North America. The other, the other is split between Latin America and the Caribbean, which has 32, Europe, which has 357, Asia, which has 51. Sub-Saharan Africa, which has 19, and Oceania, which has 16. So the vast majority, and other than by seven cities, is in North America. And due to the trend of globalization and the ability to travel easily for work, the opportunity for electricians is almost limitless. If you want to go jump on a plane and fly down to the Caribbean and wire some solar panels based on the techniques that you learned in Canada, which our organization tries to push the highest standard, you have that opportunity here. We also have an individual um, on our team who who whose mom stumbled across our Instagram post, saw that we were still installing in Calgary and convinced him to come back or in Edmonton, sorry, and convinced him to come back from Australia and start installing for us. And he was down in Australia installing solar panels. So it is becoming a very universal, a very universal product. It's not like, uh, and, and please keep in mind, I really admire oil and gas industry in the province here. I used to work in it myself, but it's not like bitumen or shale where it's very geographical and you're limited on that. Solar can be installed anywhere, anytime, even if it's in a cloudy place or on the side of the mountain that's north facing, energy still can, can still be produced. If there's a requirement for it, it can be done. Uh, so that's that's the big thing that I see there for the future of the trade is it's very bright and it's just starting to get its heels, the heels dug in. So the opportunity in at least for our lifetime is very abundant and very available. Coupled with that earlier, you mentioned EVs and perhaps your company moving to an EV fleet. Um, what are your guys' thoughts of the EV infrastructure capabilities of our current grid? And, and uh, I would imagine your installs are going to help facilitate powering those EV cars. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, so when it comes to our solutions, um, it's actually working, and I think Gersh mentioned that at the beginning, some of our partnerships are heavily, heavily focused on that is getting in at the ground floor with individuals that are looking at EVs. So we'll take Porsche, for example. The reason we have that partnership is really that we're able to be that sounding board for a client that's looking to maybe get a Taycan or, again, with our partnership with Tesla, looking at a fully electric Tesla and being able to say, okay, looking at their infrastructure at, at their home level 
and what what's available here and how can we actually supplement that with solar so that you're making that electric vehicle truly carbon neutral there's obviously that that argument or that conversation that comes up a lot between if you're plugging into the grid how dirty is that grid that then that then pushes forward is that electric vehicle actually clean so being able to educate individuals on that as well on what what part can they do and to offset an electric vehicle it's not actually a huge solar system you're looking at anywhere from 8 to 10 panels that can offset the usage of an electric vehicle from the average person um, the average person drives about 50 kilometers a day so super more more so on the education side that people think that it's this huge thing we need to have 40 panels for our electric vehicle but you can actually do a fairly small system and then how does that look for actually offsetting the other loads in the house as well um, so we do it really from a grassroots perspective we try to go right when they're looking at purchasing the vehicle making sure that we're the first contact point for that and then being able to help them through that when it comes to energy management solutions so we'll just take calgary for example nmax on the distribution side we did have a chance to work with them on a pilot project where they actually are doing pilots within all parts of the city so each quadrant um, and seeing what are the impacts of electric vehicle installs on the grid and when when are those being charged so they're taking that data so that they can actually start to adjust for this like you said kind of that three to five year plan that the infrastructure is there for um, for the electric vehicles to come online, and they know exactly where they're going to be putting public charging stations. Where can they hit heavier on kind of like electric vehicles being in everybody's home, and actually having that data? So it's something that's been ongoing, and we've been lucky enough to be heavily involved in it as well. And when it comes to these installs in the residential, um, you guys not only would you have to be fluent in the technology, the code, the installation. But it seems like there's an endless uh, supply of of conversation regarding uh, green rebates. So you guys would have to be up to date on the latest and greatest possible rebates for your customer. Um, can you kind of give us a quick idea of of where we are currently with rebates in the province? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of the rebates that are currently existing on both the solar and the electric vehicle side are focused or provided from the federal government underneath. So it's nice, it's coming from a single point, which makes it a little bit easier right across the country. And for solar right now, you can get up to $5,000 off from the Greener Homes Grant, uh, which is which takes a huge cost off the table for an average, an average household. And then for electric vehicles, if you are purchasing it, and I believe the maximum value of the electric vehicle has to be somewhere around 55 grand, you can get you can get $5,000 off. So that's another national one. Uh, there's currently no provincial rebates available, but if you live in the city of Edmonton, there's another $4,000 off for solar and there's $600 off for an electric vehicle charging station. But we do have a new mayor in um, Calgary uh, and not giving any positions on her as an individual or her, her uh, platform, but she has taken a very strong position on climate change. Um, as recently as, as a few days ago, she did have conversations with leaders in the industry to be able to determine what does the future need to look like in terms of making sure that Calgary as a city is fortified for this transit, this transition that's underway. So we'll be seeing some exciting things coming out from there. The one thing I do end up always warning people with is um, don't wait. Every time that people have waited, they come back, prices have gone up because the, so the solutions that we're providing are becoming more popular typical supply and demand considerations are also a factor. Prices are going up as demand is going up. So um, in some cases, we've had clients that have reached out from like four or five years ago, and their price is exactly the same after the rebate. 
So that just gives to show you that everybody's like, oh, solar's getting solar, solar's getting cheaper. Um, the, the counterpoint to that is electricity prices are getting more expensive. So justification for solar's payback is faster, but the pay is the cost is going up a little bit. And then electric vehicles, um, it's becoming a little bit of an interesting game as well too. The electric vehicle charging station manufacturers understand now that there's a major demand because people need electric vehicle charging stations to drive around. So we'll see some price increases coming from that side as well too. So, I mean, there's no time like now, but the bigger piece as well too is it's not coming from a, a corporate perspective. It's coming from the from just historically what we've seen uh, from price fluctuations. And obviously there's COVID variability to layer on top of that, which is always fun as well. Um, so the Greener Homes Grant, so my understanding is that it's still like months out because you have to get an energy advisor, like their website's not the best, but you have to get an energy advisor assessment. Do you guys know what the wait times that people are seeing on that right now? If you're our clients, two weeks. If you're if you're going with somebody else, three months. So we we have we've we've built that partnership relationship in-house. We if if we have a client and um, that you know is like eager, we can push them through that process a lot faster. But the solar process at a residential level still takes some time. So usually what we do is we they, we launch it all simultaneously. No matter what, solar is approved on single-family homes. It's baked into the it's baked into the greener homes grant. So there's no risk associated with that. You know, no matter what, it's going to get approved. So it's just about making sure that you get your quote done. Get the get your contract signed and get the micro generation process started because that part itself usually takes three to four weeks. That's where the delays typically happen. The greener homes grant is an easy piece. We just enter, you go to the website, you sign up, contact uh, like virtual. So say, hey, I, I'm interested in getting solar, and then we help fast track the whole process. Okay, and then because um, I have looked into a little bit, but how how much solar are you having to put in to get five thousand dollars back, or what's the percentage that it ends up working out to be? It's a dollar per watt. So to get the full five grand, you just simply have to do a five kilowatt system. Okay. Are you guys looking at doing any international installs or are you basically trying to stay within Western Canada? We're actually, we're actually in the stages of expansion right now. So we're going stateside and we have like a grander vision in terms of heading to developed nations and being able to execute um, our expertise in those regions. I, I think I heard this from, this was a public conference and Elon, ironically enough, Elon Musk is speaking at it and he's with one of the sheiks of Dubai. And the sheik of Dubai basically said that Canada's greatest weakness is simultaneously its greatest strength. It's, it's our diversity. So the one thing that we can export as, an, as a nation is our expertise. So we do, have, uh, we do have longer term plans to be able to enter different parts of Africa. We have already had those areas noted in which we know that the acceleration of renewables is is at a different is, is going to happen at a different pace, uh, and those areas really do need uh, two different things. One, they need the opportunity to be able to pollute, and I know that sounds kind of weird to say out loud, but developed nations, uh, whether it be like Europe, the United States, or Canada, we've had a, a huge amount of uh, time to pollute without any repercussions. So they need that same opportunity, and simultaneously to that, they need to be able to. Uh, enable renewables at a faster rate as well, based on their rapid development of their of their population. So I think um, Africa, for example, is going to eclipse China here pretty quickly based on the number of people and the average age in that country for the working force is like 19 to 21 years old. So it's a lot of young people who completely get renewables, but they just need access to it. So that is part of our longer term strategy. Hopefully it happens sooner than later because um, there's two sides of opportunity and the necessity for us to go out there is, is quite big. Well, from a business standpoint, you can see that that would be, uh, incredible. And then obviously 
a lot of the conversations you guys were saying earlier about providing energy to that 1.2 billion people without power in the world, obviously moving to a global scale, you guys can start to succeed in those goals. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of, it's all part of the, uh, you know, this isn't really necessarily our goal. This is just like a goal of humanities. We've just figured out which part of it we fit into. Right. So we're committing to that piece of it. Well, fantastic guys. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I, I must admit. So we do some of these and, and I'm, I actually, we've been very lucky so far with all of our guests. I've, I've learned a lot. So thank you so much. Well, likewise, no, it's, you guys have created this platform for us to be able to share our voice. So I appreciate it as well too. It's not, a lot of people say they're going to do something and they don't do it right. You guys have taken your thoughts and turned them into actions, which is generally 90% of the 90% of the battle. Our goal is to, is to provide a communication link for our industry and to, to educate all of our workers and ourselves as well. I mean, there's, as you both know, the industry is huge and, and people get pigeonholed into one area. And then we start to hear, um, you start to get attitudes and opinions about information that you really don't know a lot about. So if you can go out and kind of learn a little bit more about, uh, every little part of the industry, I mean, it, it can't help but make you better. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is, no, it's, it's nice the way that you put that as well too. I think the, sc- the scariest part about life is always change, but it's the constant, it's, it's the most absolute constant that we have, right. Is um, young individuals, especially, I think they don't understand very well enough that there's always going to be, regardless of whatever type you live life you live, there's always going to be some form of tragedy and some sort of form of elation. And a lot of people, especially in Canada, are always pursuing like this happiness that doesn't exist. And I think I was saying this to Kyle the other day, happy, like life isn't necessarily about happiness. It's about experiencing the range of emotions in relation to happiness. And, and that's, that also applies to our industry as a whole, is that we're just part of something that was naturally progressing regardless. And you can't stop progress. It's, it's all humans have ever known, right? And, and I'm excited. I, and I'm hoping I see it in my lifetime is Mars. Kai's going to ditch everybody that he loves to be able to see if he can make it there. And that's just him as a person. I don't think I can leave my kids behind, but I think that's where we're excited. And I think it's a possibility as well, too. I know that's kind of putting, putting ourselves into the crazy realm of things that humans are talking about, but we're truly living in exciting times and, and good times. I mean, we we're we're really exposed to it on a high level. So hopefully you guys hear that a lot from your other speakers as well, too, is that, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, that there's a lot of positivity kind of going around, going around the province right now and just Canada in general. Yeah. It seems like we're, I mean, everyone's kind of in this cocoon right now with, with COVID and with uh, the downturn in the economy, but I mean, hopefully we're starting to see a change with, with the pandemic and then from the economy scale too, hopefully things are going to start getting better uh, and with that, people's attitudes and, and overall success will hopefully uh, follow. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Like Jason said, we really appreciate you guys coming on the show today. Um, learned a ton from both of you. Uh, very excited to hear about, you know, your outlook upon the industry and your journey to get where you are. Uh, I, I just, I love to hear that your your goal and your vision as business owners is really a global scale, right? And you you really are just doing this to make the world a better place. And you're using the skills and the knowledge that you've learned. Um, it's something I hope you guys keep up and I really appreciate that. So um, with that being said, yeah, thank you guys both so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks again for having us. It was an absolute pleasure.
Yeah, thanks for having us. It was awesome. And thanks for making a podcast like this. Just like you said, it's super cool to, to see an electrical focused one because I think it's something that was missing where this industry has just had so much potential. So thank you so much for listening to our episode today where we sat down with those two. Uh it was an excellent episode. And I really gotta say I took a lot away from it. And I think that their passion and their vision for the future of uh, the industry and a sustainable future is is one that we can all admire. So um, thank you for listening to this episode. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Uh, our podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at what's the word podcast. Uh, and let us know if you like the show or what you'd like to hear in future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. You have yourself a great day.